Hello, I'm Jen Gash. And I'm Stuart Jeffrey. And welcome to Our Chemical Health, our new podcast, which is looking at sustainable ways for new ways to look at healthcare and social care and ways we can live in the world in a better way. Excellent. Jen, you okay? Yes, I'm okay. I just kind of forgot what our introduction was meant to be, so I, I kind of made that up a little bit. <laughs> you did rather. I've got it all written down in front of me. We could have done it perfectly, but you've, you've gone ad lib. Well That's done. That's fine. I will do that. You know that. <laughs> How are Excellent. you, Stuart? You all right? Yeah, all good here. All good here. Um, yes, and um, so let's. We've got a we've got our first guest. How exciting Woo-hoo! is that? Yes. Um, we'll come to Caroline in a minute. Um, this is going to be exciting. Um, uh, a technical marvel with three people on a, on a Zoom call and some recording. How cool is that? Um, who'd have thought that 10 years ago? Well, yeah, but Stuart, most of the rest of the country has been doing this for the last three or four years. Getting three people on a Zoom call is just you and I that are not very really <laughs> up with it. Okay, noted. Thank you, Jen. <laughs> um so um yes welcome to episode three and um uh to, just to start with um last time we set people um we, we introduced the forge and um we we did introduce the forge definitely and and, and I, I challenged people to go and stick your hands in some some soil and and breathe and smell the, the the earth um hopefully you've done that and hopefully um it, it felt good jen how did it feel for you well Thank you, Stuart. I um, we've been collecting soil samples for a while now because my daughter's doing her A level geography project, so collecting soil samples has been a bit of a a thing in this house, um, as we mentioned last week. Uh, so my kitchen and lounge are still covered in these plates with soil in. So we we had to naturally go and get some. I say naturally, you know, in the normal course of our peculiar daily activities, we went and got our hands in soil. It's cold this time of year. It's cold. Um, I'm, as a gardener, I'm definitely a fair weather gardener. Until I get into it, actually, I think that's something I was, I was going to talk about later. I think, um, you know, talking about the barriers to getting out and about in nature and getting hands mucky and things, I think uh, there's a, an interesting discussion about what gets in the way. And I think for me, I just get a bit too cosy indoors, uh, especially in our, well, we haven't got central heating here, but it's still the house is warm. But um, yeah, it was lovely. The smell is good. I'm I'm very much into smells. Yeah, I I must say the smell is what does it for me. It's, yeah, <laughs> I can't I can't describe it, but it's wonderful, absolutely wonderful. <laughs> right, before we get cracking with our interview, Jen, I, I think have you have you decided you wanted to, your turn to do a factoid? Was it? Well, it was. Yeah, and then I realised that I used the factoid last week, but I'm going to kind of say part of the factoid again. It's 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 not funny. It's not like. Last week, Caroline, he did this joke that I didn't get. Um, so this week, it's just very much just an interesting thing. Um, I mean, I'm I'm fascinated in why certain activities give us um, a sense of well-being. And what I mentioned last week was that there was some um, research about literally touching soil and it re- uh, releasing serotonin and things in our brains which is obviously why we set the, the, the sort of task for people. But I've teamed that up. The, the next bit of that that I didn't mention, which is this, apparently there's another um, state, a release of dopamine, for example, when we pick or harvest food from nature. And I think it starts apparently when we actually, you know, if we're out for a walk and we actually see a berry or a mushroom, you know, we actually get a first flush of dopamine at that yes. point. It just pings off. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I must admit, if you sit in, if I'm in the forest or out for a walk, especially if I see a mushroom, mm-hmm. I really, really get very excited. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, and, and apparently they, they, they hypothesized that this was part of the evolutionary response to hunting gathering um and i find that fascinating and if you team that up just with the soil releasing dopamine as well you know you start to build this glorious picture of of all these actual physical responses that affect our well-being and i think that's kind of what i'm part of one of the reasons for doing this podcast as well is to map these these little bits of stuff that all add up to a greater whole 
Excellent. So that's my little factoid about hunting, gathering and picking mushrooms and fruit. We are going to hopefully go into into shrooms in a bit more depth, but perhaps more more <laughs> a different angle in the, uh, with, with, with the speaker I'm trying to line up at the moment, who is doing some interesting research into um, uh, psycho, special mushrooms, special yeah. special nice interesting mushrooms. Okay. <laughs> um, so I'd like to introduce Caroline. Um, Caroline's a, a long term friend of mine. Um, and Doctor uh, Caroline Jessel. Doctor Caroline Jessel. Um, and um uh, i'm i'm going to let you talk talk uh, introduce yourself properly but um you know you are a, a parish councillor locally you you run uh, you you run a fantastic charity and 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 you used to be a gp um so caroline welcome really pleased to be here and the music to my ears about the soil again fantastic stuff and i can remember years ago saying to a friend of mine i never feel better than when i've been digging around in my vegetable garden and I didn't know why mm. um, but I know a lot more about it now and there's this wonderful smell you describe I believe has got a name um, petrichor petrichor yeah petrichor, which is a rather good name I don't it doesn't petrify you but it <laughs> gets to your core um, and uh, yes so I'm very interested in this discussion Fantastic. Um, so, yeah, huge thank you for joining us. Can you, I mean, I've given you a, 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 a three-second intro. Tell us a bit about what you, who you are and what you've been up to. Right. Well, um, I suppose I, my main background is being a GP, but, you know, before that I, I grew up in a big family in, in the countryside and ran around the fields and things as, as you did in in those days way way long time ago because i've been a gp for over 30 years and and i've retired now um but i sort of grew up embedded in nature but I, of course i didn't realize that at the time um and i now contrast a lot my experience um, which was very free to do what i like um and uh, and that of my colleagues and friends um as children you know with today's childhood i think there's a very dramatic change and we've also seen as a gp i started to see children presenting with quite severe mental health problems in the 1990s and i thought this is a bit strange because i don't remember this in the 70s or 80s and mm. the late 90s it all seemed to start and before incidentally social media um so as a, as a gp i started to think hard about what's what's different for children now we were seeing things um that we've never seen before and i found all my colleagues the same so around um the year 2000 i started this this charity to help children deal with emotional and behavioral and mental health type problems that were causing exclusions from school and that type of problem and um i thought instinctively thought it would be good to get them into nature and get them outside and of course i remembered as a child how much i loved animals and playing outside so wanted to create um, a place where children would enjoy being as a therapeutic space uh, rather than going to a clinic and having to talk about your problems to an adult which for a sort of seven eight nine year old pretty scary and unpleasant mm, absolutely and many of them would come back and say i don't want to go there again <laughs> adding to the trauma of things <laughs> so yes and that has we didn't know what we were doing in the beginning but it, it's really worked well and so that led me to study much more about health and nature health and the environment issues like air pollution issues climate change and the biodiversity loss all those issues became much more onto my radar once i'd got involved in reconnecting children with the natural world and their families, of course, not just the child, and seeing the powerful impact of that on their lives, very little things, as you were mentioning, gathering fruit and vegetables or mushrooms even, um, powerful impact on the lives of families. They've never done that kind of thing before, and actually eating the produce that they gathered mm. or harvesting the plants that they planted, digging up potatoes even, which for some children they, they actually believed we put the potatoes in the ground as like a buried treasure uh, for them to find. They couldn't believe they'd just grown there. 
I see. I actually have to do that in my garden to think that I have actually grown something, Caroline, because I'm so rubbish at growing things. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I'm with them actually. Oh, well, you're probably not rubbish. It's just you know. Oh no, getting, no, she is. I think everyone <laughs> can grow. Historically, <laughs> it's it's not been easy growing things. I mean, you've also got animals there, haven't you? Um, and, yes. uh, and 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 I can imagine, you know, it, it's lovely having a, a pet, a, a cat, or a dog to, 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 to at home. But the the idea of um, seeing some of these animals um, uh, outside that that are that, that are not pets but are pettable, I suppose, um, mm. uh, is probably different to the um, to, to, to the animals that kids have at home, I guess. Well, I think we've had many children at Dandelion. Um, we've helped over a thousand children now, about, about wow. 1,300 um, over 20 years. And we've had many of those, I wouldn't say an exact proportion, who have never had any kind of relationship with any live animal. Wow. Only through TV or, you know, maybe a neighbor's cat or dog. They might have had, but often they're scared. So for them, it's a really powerful experience because we've got to remember that we are a species in nature and in, in the natural world you interact all the time with other species whether as predator prey or colleagues in some way friends um you know you are constantly interacting with other species and we've kind of created a world where the only mammal species that most people see day to day is another human being Mm. And it's rare to see anything. And in cities, you know, it might be pigeons or foxes, but virtually no other mm. species. Um, and even in a town like Maidstone, there are not that many um, large-ish animals around that you see in, on a day-to-day basis. And that contrasts that with our evolution. Um, mm. So we've evolved for, for you know, 1,700 million years, something like that, out there gathering food, doing stuff um, in nature all day and every day. And if, if you sort of study what happens in indigenous tribes in the Amazon and places, they they regard other other species as their friends very often. Mm. They might hunt them and eat them, but they apologize for doing it. And they regard them as having um, a soul and an equal mm. sort of status with humans virtually. Yeah. Yeah, all, all my relations, I think they refer to, don't they? My relations, exactly. They are relations, cousins and aunties. Um, and so it's a, it's a very different relationship. And I think for these children, it's a really powerful. We have donkeys, we have sheep, chickens um, and guinea pigs on site. Um, and of course, the guinea pigs allow you to be nurturant and to understand the fear of a little creature when you pick it up. If you yourself are small... Mm. they're much smaller and so dominance and nurturing something um vulnerable mm. that's a, that's a learning point for a child that maybe have been bullied or be a bully themselves mm. Mm. and they understand then you how to be caring and nice yeah we did have guinea pigs caroline when we were growing up Stuart oh, and I. oh well, that obviously got... explains a lot yeah we uh we had starsky and hutch yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that will give you an idea about the uh, time. The and I mean, I, I, as a, we, I mean, we live in a very suburban place here. I live in South Gloucestershire, but in a town. And we had chickens for about six or seven years, which I absolutely adored. Mm-hmm. Um, They're lovely was, to cuddle, aren't they? Oh, so lovely to cuddle. Yeah, um, just I've got gorgeous photos of my girls picking up the chickens, but also I just they're so clever. Yeah. They're so clever chickens, and I just, um, yeah, I, I really miss having them. But I think you do have to understand that, like everything, they they need looking after, and there's work to go into it. And I think one of the things that I struggled with it was seemed always to be a choice between trying to manage this chaotic life we have and all the jobs we have to do, because that doesn't leave enough time to 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 look after you know chickens or other animals mm. and things and i think that's a bit of a well um, i think it's one of the things that has changed um in the lives of children and modernity is mm. parents are much much more busy because they yeah. can never get away from their machines so they yeah. never get away from work 
Yep. So if you go back a few generations, or you know, but it would have been a normal part of your life if there were animals to feed, you know, just would have been yep. fitted around your day and it wouldn't have been a problem. But we're trying to cram much more into a day. Mm, absolutely. That, that's, that's affecting children's um, well-being and mental health, I think, as a collective. So, so do you think that is the thing that perhaps changed in the 1990s or, or, or is it is it that and the kind of withdrawal from from um, going out into green spaces? And, and I tend not to use the word going into nature because because. You know, even sitting here on this Zoom call, we're we're technically in nature because it's everything that is everything. Yeah. Um, it is air and everything, yes, of <laughs> course. But I think yes, green greener spaces, wilder spaces, and freedom um, to experience um, that. I read a very good book when I started Jan Dandelion, and I think it was called the, um, Last Child in the Woods, and uh, and you know that sort of experience of running around and connecting with the trees maybe climbing them um, mm. and experiencing them close up with autonomy to decide how you're going to do it that experience has gone because and the safety culture is so one is the the busy parents and mm. no time for anything one is um technology and the attractions that are indoors that are dragging you away from the world outside and maybe more exciting in the short term but not so much in the long term and and the third one is the safety culture which is terrified to let you just run off in the woods and play mm. uh, which all children did when i was young it was just normal and run run all over the place get a bus on your own into town if you wanted to or you know go with your mates on a cycle ride and not tell your parents where you were going <laughs> have a picnic 10 miles away you know and, yeah you know, that, my, my husband was good at that one yeah he um, yeah, we all did that it was just yeah. normal. No, I know. His mum, yeah. You know, that, that lifestyle, what you were learning were all kinds of resilient skills yeah. of navigation, not panicking if you got lost, and um, mm. taking care of yourself, making sure you didn't get injured, making sure mm. you've got enough to eat and drink and not got sunburnt and things. You're making all those decisions mm. for yourself, and the modern child has somebody hovering over them telling them to put on the sun cream or put the hat on or whatever it is yeah. and eat at this time and drink at that time. So they, they've lost that autonomy and decision-making, which I think is really bad for their sense of coping with life, you know, because mm. nobody lets them do it. So there's a sense of agency problem um, mm. as well yeah. as, as well as all of the other compounded. It's yeah. almost as mm. if we've forgotten how to, to raise kids. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. And of course, an organisation like Dandelion, we, we still have to be very safety conscious, but we mm. try and do it in a way that doesn't impinge directly on the children. Mm. So they don't know we're safeguarding them all the time. But mm. You have to, because obviously one disaster um, could could ruin the whole organisation forever mm. and you wouldn't be able to help any other children. So you have to you have to be very conscious of safety and, and that is our culture today and that's obviously saved millions of lives and all sorts of horrific things that happened before. You know, as a young GP, I can remember children coming in with terrible burns from pans on the hob and all that mm. sort of thing and the casualty and dreadful things. So, so I'm not against the safety culture. No, but no, no. I think, I think the psychological impact has been underestimated and we need to find ways of releasing children into to be wild even if it's not so dangerous you know to mm. let them be wild a bit like follow their natures which what, what, is deep one of, intrinsic one of the charities i started to get involved with unfortunately they haven't got anything going on um locally um it is um uh, 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 oh gosh what's it called it's um uh, a band of brothers and, okay. uh, and 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 they um they take uh, sort of younger men um uh, that not children but um one of the things they do with them is is kind of this initiation into um into adulthood into male adulthood um and 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 whilst I don't know what goes on in that initiation, and it's followed by you know a series of uh, of, uh, of therapeutic relationships, counselling, um, coaching mm. kind of relationships, um, but that kind of initiation um, 
has has a sense of danger um and clearly you know like, like any charity it, it avoids actual risk <laughs> but um is there a, do you have a sense that 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 because uh, you know is that is that kind of what what you're suggesting in terms of you know that that lack of danger that lack of initiation mm -hmm. is it, mm. it, it is not helping um not helping uh, children turn into uh, in, into good adults into functional adults anyway very much so and, and it's one of the reasons we chose a farm environment because there are activities there which involve you know equipment mm. um and risk taking safety yeah. we we try and do as much by hand as possible and involve, involve risk. And one of the early things we observed was that we had twice as many male kids referred as, as girls. And that's, that's still, although girls' mental health is very bad now in teenagers, getting really serious, and young girls aren't referred very much for, for those problems, partly because they're very compliant. Naturally, they behave well at school and they don't uh, don't get into trouble, so they don't get spotted but they all their um girls behave well at school <laughs> they do little girls often do behave better okay jen jen bear that in mind <laughs> <laughs> something i wonder caroline is that um you know my ot brain is kicking off about sensory integration stuff and and also boys need greater need for physical activity and mm. which in integrate senses and yeah. i do wonder whether because of that i mean yes the there's the compliance thing with girls that maybe they're I suppose I'd like to think about it as they're adaptive and yes. <laughs> they're able to sort of yes, I don't want to generalize on gender but you know no. we're, we're, we've got three girls between us none of them <laughs> yeah, are exactly but you know I was well, just thinking about the boys that you know you can see it at playground at playgroups the boys are running around a lot more they are bashing into things they are they need that sensory regulation allowed. I mean, now my grandson, who's nine, is not allowed a football in the playground because it's yeah. too dangerous. Mm. So, um, you know, he's frustrated by that because he loves football, but they, they play it off the school. But what we found at Dandelion was that we needed what we call sort of controlled risk. Um, you know, we did, children needed to be able to chop with a knife if we're going to chop up a carrot for lunch. Mm. Mm. Um, but we were quite careful how we let them use the knife and teach them and so on. And we didn't have knives available loose in a drawer that a mm. child that was feeling upset could grab or anything, put them up high and all that kind of thing. Mm. But we so we're careful about it, but allowing danger and force, um, strength to be part of your everyday kind of experience in a managed and um, kind of constructive creative way mm. you know, like mm. um using a, a knife to pare down a stick we, we do a lot of woodwork yeah and so using um things that could be seen as dangerous in a different context as mm. constructive um the tools to get what you need from your life and i think boys respond in again horrible generalization but but uh, people with issues around aggression and things of that sort mm. respond very well to being allowed to do things that are conceived to be dangerous um, mm, and, and do it in a constructive way. And we've had several young men become, you know, as a result of being at Dandelion, become uh, carpenters, chippies, things mm. like that, because mm. they've enjoyed the sensation of using tools which were kind of forbidden to them because schools can't i mean you've got 30 kids around you, you yeah. can't allow them to have sharp tools mm. well this is why i mean my husband and i were scout leaders for years and you know we thought about going back um in recent years but actually the 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 risk taking mm -hmm. has been taken out of of scouting a lot of the time because when we were doing it yeah we were using knives and whittling wood and sticks mm -hmm. to toast marshmallows on the fire mm -hmm. and we'd we did use do axing of wood you know chopping yeah. wood except i mean all that all sorts is, of things it's kind of like the collecting the fungus in the woods it's a sort of intrinsic you feel good about doing those things oh, absolutely our ancestors for generations wouldn't have been able to survive without those skills mm. but for many thousands of years and so it, it feels good to master your environment yep. around you and to have that close, tactile, physical, sensory connection mm. with, other, with natural materials. 
so sounds... I think a lot of it is is that re, it's rediscovering what people have always done actually and what kids have always done. Yep. Putting yeah. it into a reasonably safe context. We have quite a high ratio of adults to children and that makes it much safer mm. with volunteers and things. But, Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, it sounds um Sounds a bit hunter gatherer, doesn't it? Um, yeah. you know, wh wh whittling a, a thing to poke with, and then yeah. picking some picking some food. Caroline, you talked a little bit a second ago, or you started to mention some of the um, creative work um, mm. there. Do you, can you say a little bit more about that? Because um, I saw when I when I visited with you whenever it was about a year ago wasn't it um mm -hmm. uh you know you, you had a big um what looked a bit like a yurt i forget the proper name of it but you know a huge thing and wood turning stuff and so forth it looked great i, I wanted to go <laughs> <laughs> you can come back and have a proper go with someone who knows how to do it more than me yeah so we do green woodwork that was the the, the space you saw which is sort of a yurt like but it's designed by the children and is kind of outside and inside at the same time with a bit of shelter um, and it's a lovely space in the woodland um, and what we try and do that we did the craft activity is soothing in itself so the the, the wood turning uh. is rhythmic um, and I don't know how much either of you know about brain trauma uh. and the impact of trauma on the brain um, We've studied that a lot at Dandelion because most of the children we deal with have had trauma of one kind or another, often witnessing domestic violence and things of that sort or severe loss, sudden loss. And that. And the impact on the growing brain is different to on the adult brain. Mm. And the restoring normal brain functioning um, requires a, what's called a neurosequential approach. And that is using rhythm. Uh, is one of the basics so if you think about your brain and the basal part of your brain is balance and rhythm uh, and smell are the main sort of activities of you know the early precursor of man they had to have those those things so doing something that requires coordination balance and rhythm and also the lovely smell of the wood turning and the you know gives off a wonderful resiny smell that is is a therapy but but it's seen as a fun activity if you're the kid doing it or even the parent so we get everybody doing that and it's one of the early things we do with the family and similarly going for a walk in the woods trying to get a nice rhythm into the walk talking a bit as we go and looking and observing um, that is again part of the neurosequential approach and of course many of these children never go for walks and mm. that isn't part of it people are scared and there's lots of issues why they don't mm. um, but they don't go for a walk as a family mm. Mm. and we have many many families who come back to us say saying that that's one thing they learned at dandelion and they've made sure they do at the weekends or whenever they're free together mm. to go out together and just amble along and enjoy that unfocused attention of being outside in in the natural environment um, mm -hmm. and seeing what the kids get up to letting them spot things and enjoy mm -hmm. so yeah the, the wood the wood the green woodwork and other crafts we do in are always related to natural materials so we do wool work we have our sheep we use our wool and we do sort of wool carding which is quite satisfying to do pulling but that can be rhythmic as well can't it rhythmic, and, you know, and, yes and, and felt the wool is so lovely and the children love it they you mm. know they enjoy that the sensation of the wool and of course when they see the sheep in the field they always feel the wool and snuggle up to it and dig their fingers deep into the wool so the, the, the fact that wool can be on a sheep and then turn into a nice bit of felt work Mm. is similar to the tree can drop a branch and that can turn into a table yeah. leg yeah. um, through your own agency and actions which for many children this is miraculous because they've never seen anything go from its natural state into mm. a sort of man-made object mm. and so much of the original and pottery mm. as well that's clay yeah you, oh, absolutely. Clay, you know dig it out and make things with clay mm. and again it's it's partly education, it's partly therapy, mm. and it's partly pure fun and joy. Mm. Um, which, if you've got fun and joy, as as you'll know, um, you want to come back for more, and and it raises all those good hormones in the brain, mm. um, the serotonin, etc. 
as well as smelling the petrichor when you're picking up <laughs> potatoes. We, we, we are going to have to do a, a whole session on, on neurochemicals, aren't we? Yeah, we are. Yeah. 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 And I think we've now got our, our title for, for, for this episode, which I reckon has to be Neurosequential Dandelions. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. How are you? Think- Go on, Go on. Jim. That's no, fine. Okay. Um, so a question. Um, there's this... There's this proverb, isn't there, that that um, uh, of, of this kind person pu- pulling people out of the river as they float down, half drowning, um, and he's being very kind. He keeps pulling them out, making them well, and sending them on their way. And then the next one comes down, um, uh, and then he stops and realizes that it's pointless doing what he's doing. He might as well walk up a mile up the river and and stop people falling in in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, good, yes. So. What can we do? Uh, and, and whilst I absolutely adore the work you're doing, I wish you didn't do it and didn't have to do it. Um, so what do, what do we need to do as a society? And how can we, how can we stop the kids falling in the river, effectively, while pushing them in the river? Because wild swimming is great. I was going to say, <laughs> let's talk about that. Wild swimming is good. But, yeah, I, I really love your question. Um, and we have often said that, we don't want to exist. We, when we've succeeded, we won't need to exist. Mm. So it's much wider than a therapeutic approach. It's um, trying to understand where, as a society, have we gone badly wrong um, with the way in which we raise children. And, and you could apply the same to the treatment of adults, actually. I mean, you know, yesterday I gave a talk to in the NHS and a lot of them were saying, oh, we want, we're going to demand a chance to get out during the middle of the day and get some fresh air and sunshine, you know, because of the, the importance of nature for all of our health, mm. that connection with nature. And, and there's all kinds of evidence, which we obviously haven't got time to do today. But I think the disconnect with nature as a society has been really harmful and is creating more and more harm to um to to families and children growing up but to everyone as well and that's something we could address through um, a variety of government departments so it wouldn't be just education it would obviously work uh, workplace law um and long out the long hours culture um and the expectation for you know young adults one of, you mentioned the scouts for example but nobody can get volunteers now of mm. the sort of 30 to, to 55 age group yep. for anything. And yep. Parish council can't get them. Nobody can get them. Cricket <laughs> yeah. clubs can't get them because they're all so flat out. And certainly my my sons-in-law and daughter-in-laws and everyone, they say that, you know, the school emails them at nine o'clock at night with the yeah. instruction to produce a kind of outfit for tomorrow or something. <laughs> oh, gosh, never, I remember that. There's never <laughs> any, you know, that in a way it's the electronic world the digital world and the connectivity of that has made us all so much more available to each other that you can't switch off and create space so as a society we've got to learn to be able to um, resist the temptation to communicate all the time and, mm. and to make make space for other things um, and that reconnection will not only improve our health and mental health but also make more people aware of the great dangers and uh, crisis that we're in in terms of mm. climate change and biodiversity loss and be able, be motivated to do something about it. Mm. So I think it will work on many fronts if we can get that reconnection much wider across society. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, I think... Your turn, Jim. No, it's my turn. Excellent. Well done. Um, I was just, as we've been chatting, thinking about how we got to now and it's... It's a very complex, slow process in some ways. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I was thinking about sort of if you look at, you know, two generations ago. So I was thinking about my parents post-war. Um, and then, of course, we were brought up in the 70s. So we're now the sort of second generation out of post-war. <clears throat> and I think that that has it's not just the war stuff but i mean i think that that's one of the places that the risk culture has kind of come from and and the comfort you know the comfort culture as well because we're so wealthy 
essentially mm. you know i was thinking about the central heating clothes you know the washed clothes the modern fibers all of those things are you know designed to make life easier and more comfortable mm. and I, it's you know I, I i i get that somehow we need a, a top-down approach policy-wise but this is such a complex multifactorial issue and mm. I, I kind of think that we have to do small steps ourselves yes definitely you know, just as a as a culture mm. you know and i'm i'm a, f- a big fan of small steps so i mean as a therapist i i you know over the years people have sort of so oh, mrs Sarah so won't do this and she won't do that or i've worked with this person for years and they can't get anywhere and i'm like you just got to make the steps smaller so small mm. that you don't notice you're doing them mm. um and maybe this sounds a bit weird but the small step in this might be going back to putting the washing out to dry in the garden now for some people mm. they never stop doing that but you know instead of just automatically throwing it in the tumble dryer maybe you go out mm. and have 10 minutes in the garden putting the washing on the line mm. that that's a small step that's not an hour's sunday yeah. walk or a, a whole sunday mm. going out to the seaside it feels mm. those sort of things need to be not adding to the stress well, I think you have to reframe it as a joy, not a task, because yes. it probably does take longer than shoving it in the, um, yeah. in, the in the tumble dryer. Yeah. Fortunately, I don't have, so I have been out today and taking my washing on the line. And I do enjoy that moment. I listen yes. to the birds, look at the sky and the clouds, enjoy yeah. that moment and don't see it as a chore. Um, and that's how I think it's a reframing of... yeah how we use our day and our time. And a lot of that can come from um, a deeper understanding, a sort of spiritual understanding of what we are and who we are. Mm. Um, I'm not a religious person at all, but I think it's, it's looking at your inner self and what are your needs and trying to make sure you, and I think in the coaching world, I did a bit of coaching. I think you mentioned you did coaching, Jen. Mm. Um, it's, a lot of it is aligning your motivations with your inner values oh, absolutely and, and that's so if it's important to you to um feel good at the end of the day and and have a little bit of fresh air and exercise and connection with the world around you um and if you can understand that importance and feel it at a deep level which may come through meditation or some sort of inward looking um, activity um then you will find the time for it and make it important and other things less important. But, you know, other things can be put to one side because I, I always remind my, my kids actually that we all survived in, you know, in the days before we had phones. I mean, I love my phone. I'm lost without it. But it's not an essential part of my life really because I grew up most of my life without one. And yeah. so, you know, they're much harder if you're a, a modern day, you know, 14 year old to see it like that, because you can't imagine a world without phones. No, I, I, it's, um, it, it is even, you know, even as somebody who's probably had 50% of his life at, with, with a phone only, it, it still worries me if I've left it at home. Well, I, it's I, a I, funny I, feeling. It's weird. <laughs> My phone. <laughs> yeah, and that's an addiction, of course. Yes. So you, you have a yeah. recognizing that pull you know my sister always says oh, it's talking to you even when it's not making a noise yeah and it's true you know it's pulling at you and i had a car or something you're not allowed to touch it you know you're sort of going oh i wonder what's going on on my phone so it does have a pull yeah i, I had a, a conversation with my daughter um over the last couple of days and, and i said yeah I, I i don't have the phone in my in the bedroom when i go to sleep and she said what if somebody needs to get hold of you well <laughs> so what <laughs> what's the worst that can happen i'm you yeah. know if it's jen wanting me to go down to help with mum or something well you know at three o'clock in the morning the chances of me waking up anyway are, are minimal and mm-hmm. and i'll probably pick the phone up at 6 a.m so and you know i'll be down there by different. nine um mm-hmm. it's it, not going to make a huge amount of difference you know um mm-hmm. but the, as you you're right a lot of people do take them to bed and every time they bleep they half wake up Mm. So they're not getting proper sleep, um, mm. you know. So that's another factor in in today's um, problems. You know, mm. the the is we have a lot of addictions, and that is one of them. Mm. And it's a very powerful one. 
Mm-hmm. Have you, um, Carol, I'm just thinking about um, forest schools, because I imagine that's a, yes. an organisation that you do some, you know, yes. joint work with. Because I was thinking, you know, obviously there's the, the kids that are really struggling, um, mm-hmm. but part of my desire is that, you know, forest schools become the norm, really. You know, yes. that's kind of yeah. really what should be happening, mm-hmm. you know, from mm-hmm. a prevention pulling the people out of the water for or stopping the people from yes. falling in you yeah. know and I think you know I mean we, we're lucky our, our ordinary local schools have some relationship with forest schools and do some work but also the schools around here do have green spaces mm. um you know they're still getting out for PE outside they you know they do grow some vegetables and you know they mm. they do try um but I'm conscious of um almost a sort of a redesign of education you know we know that for a long time that's been needed um Mm. but um you know short of sort of sort of come the revolution sort of stuff it's not gonna you know the way education is viewed um and i mean you know organizations like steiner schools and montessori obviously for years have been operating very differently Mm -hmm. um but I think there's, you know, if we were talking about kind of government stuff, you know, having support from, you know, education authority or central government to put nature and green sp- stuff and outdoor stuff back into the curriculum, I suppose that must be one of yes. the priorities. I really. definitely agree. And yeah, and but it mustn't be deathly like we had nature study when I was in school. <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, <laughs> pond dipping. Pond dipping and just walking yeah, in the forest. It's got to yeah. be fun. That's one of the big things. So mm. because also I think national curriculum, I mean, I, I gather ecology is now a GCSE, which is big news because we, mm, we rather thought for that when I was doing sustainability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it's now a GCSE, but you can't start it till you're 14. No. So if you listen to David Attenborough and all the experts on this, every child is born with a natural affinity with nature. And they love the worms and the ants and butterflies and things. Yeah. And every child's book is full of pictures of elephants and giraffes and monkeys. And every child is naturally attracted to nature. Mm. But they get it schooled out of them. Once yeah, absolutely. And their peers and everything. And they just go right off it by the time they're 10 or 11. So... In many, in many cases, not in every case. But if you, so, if you're going to do something with the national curriculum and do it meaningfully, um, it's got to start young, I think, mm. and it's got to be integrated into primary schools. And some of them do have access, as you say. I mean, my local primary school has a bit of wood at the back, and they let them mm. play there, and they have some forest school experiences. Um, but it's it's a little bit of an add-on, a tack-on, and I don't think it's fundamental to the educational ethos, uh, which it needs to be, and, and mm. obviously climate change needs to be taught as well, um, but not in a way that terrifies children because we've got a lot of people scared about the future mm. and that is oh, not hel- healthy for them um, really. Mm. So it's somehow it's got to be empowering. So it would be nice to see children actually doing activities to yeah. help reduce carbon emissions or even just going out and doing litter picks and that type of thing um, and, and not turning it into a cognitive activity because that's what one of the things that gets me with school activities now it's kind of like well we go and have this experience but then we're going to go and you know write you know write about it and and, and turn yeah. it into sort of and i know that's part yeah. of teaching now is kind of you know hitting as many targets and targets yeah, yeah, it's just you know, kind of. Let's just go out for a, for a walk or a dig, and then that's that. Let's not then go and you know measure the turnip growing rate or the. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I just like well, it's just, it needs to be a thing in itself rather than. Yeah, I've, I've always felt about that. If a child is excited by something, they'll want to learn more, and mm. certainly found that dandelion that we do do some teaching sometimes about what we're doing. We build that into it, but it's sort of because the child is interested. Once mm. you've got their interest and enthusiasm, mm. then teaching is really easy. It's a lot easier, yeah. I mean, it's hard for teachers with a classroom. I'm sure if there are any teachers listening to this, they'll be thinking, going crazy. Because, you know, <laughs> yeah, shouting at the podcast. <laughs> you've got like 28, 30 children, they won't all be interested. I know. Way. And, it, you, you know, yeah. you take 28, 30 children into a forest for a couple of hours. And you come back uh, with 25. <laughs> <laughs> 
and like multiple complaints from parents because of mud on school uniform and nice yeah. white trainers have got covered and you know it's um well that's yeah. another barrier as well yes I mean, it in is my, in my granddaughter's primary school she came home one day she was about seven and said um the teacher told me to wash my hands because i'd touched a leaf in the playground <laughs> and I, this was pre-covid when we all got hysterical about washing but it just it made me realize that's that such a barrier one leaf yeah. she touched and then another one of her friends came to our house a little while after that and she was not allowed they were playing hide and seek. She wasn't allowed to go in long grass. It wasn't very long, you know, sort of, mm. you know, longish grass. Not allowed. She stopped dead every. So we've got obviously wild areas of our garden, as we should. And the hide and seek might have taken you. Have you got tigers the... in your grass or something? Have you got like tigers or well, wild I animals? Did explain or that adders are very rare in. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what she was worried about, but but they, she wasn't allowed in long grass, and she absolutely refused to go even mm. though my granddaughter did and other children did. Mm. She, wouldn't, she wouldn't move. So these are barriers that get into the mind. Of the oh, absolutely. And then they're with you all your life. Mm. You know, so. And I think, I think that's the thing that, I mean, we probably don't have time to look at it today, but um, the sort of barriers to, you know, include or being out and about more. I mean, I know I went on about when we started our discussion about central heating, but I do think there's a something about I'm safe, I'm comfortable, I don't want to go out. I did something Make about this warm. cocoon we've made ourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stuart's sitting there in his dressing gown. Um, cold. But, <laughs> but, you know, it's it's a multiple thing. It's the risk culture. It's the dirt, yes. you know, thing. It's like, I, I mean, I'm, I've always been a dirty person. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I shouldn't say it that really, should I? Like that? <laughs> yeah, no, you're not wrong. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I still am a dirty person. <laughs> um, I'm just conscious of time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do we think um, we need to sort of um, just? We we probably do need to wrap it up. We've been we've been. This has been just wonderful. Yeah, has been. <laughs> and um, I've written really down loads of things that we we probably need to start delving into, from education through to um, yep. uh, through to wood turning. Um, so, absolutely. Um, We'll, 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 we'll certainly pick these up in future episodes. Caroline, it would be really great to have you back at some point once we've, um, you know, once we've started to expand some of this stuff. Um, well, once we've figured out what we're doing, Caroline. <laughs> yeah. well, You're pro- doing a really pro- great probably, thing with this, a really great thing. So. Well, you know, we both come, yeah, we both come from a, you know, health background and we've, we've worked with all sorts of people with all sorts of sort of problems, you know, physical problems, mental health problems, you know, problems with aging over the years and you know just we just really recognize that we have to turn this on our head on its head because mm. what we're trying yeah. to do is oik those people out of the river further down yeah. but um or somehow scoop them up in a net at the bottom and then they all get clogged up and it's very difficult to do anything so you know it needs to be we need a different metaphor I that's what we need great what you're doing and i i hope you'll if i come back at all we could perhaps talk a bit about food and the soil because i think yes yeah. if we're talking yeah, about absolutely. solutions for the future i think that's a big area we could make a big difference i think so. grow, growing stuff is just the most wonderful thing ever isn't it mm-hmm. absolutely it's, yes no we'll, 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 we'll most of it's going to be done by farmers so they need to change really mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah that um, is happening but perhaps too slowly we, we have this bizarre um, reward system, don't we, where we pay our um, farm workers the probably the lowest pay of any anybody, yet they're doing the most important work. You know, what, what, we, we can't survive without food. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. um, so, yes, absolutely. Um, Caroline, huge thank you. Um, uh, and uh, as I say, do, do come back. Um, do come back and talk to us about food and soil and 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 how how wonderful it is um and and, and bring some strawberries <laughs> and thank you everyone to listening into our podcast today and um, we'll we've got we've got a couple time. of bits to do haven't we though um do we? we do we've got the forge oh yes we've got, we've got to set a task for people Oh, God. Caroline. Do we need to let Caroline go so she can... No, 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 hang, hang around for <laughs> two seconds if you want to or go. It doesn't matter. But um, uh, so so I, I was thinking about my, my plans for the forge for this time um, have changed having having listened to Caroline. And, and I think I'm going to challenge people to go out and find a tree. I wasn't going to do a tree hugging till <laughs> later on. But I think 
go and find a tree don't be embarrassed but just stand there and put your back against it so that as much of your spine is against the tree as possible this is tree hugging Stu. this no, is tree not hugging. no because you've got your back <laughs> against it it's not a tree hugging thank you jen um and close your eyes and feel your feet on the floor um and just as you stand there with your back against this tree trunk Imagine you are part of that tree with your branches going up above you, collecting sunlight. Hopefully it's start leaves might be starting to bud and so forth or, or out. Um, and, and your feet are part of the root system going into the soil and just stand there just for a minute with your eyes closed and empty your brain and think, and, and don't think, but just feel. Um, well, do do a bit of mindfulness exercise, isn't it? Do the sort of what yeah. can I feel, what can I smell, what yeah. can I, you know, see, you know, just do a bit of mindfulness observational stuff. Mm. Yeah, so Good let's, one. Let, Good one. let's all do that for next week and see what happens. Sounds, sounds really nice. I can't wait to meet my tree. <laughs> Excellent. So a huge thank you to uh, you, Dr. Caroline Jessel. And um, uh, hopefully um, we, we're going to, Jen and I are going to have a chat next week about um, uh, just the two of us um, start to dig a bit deeper into some of these bits, pull up some some research we found and go a bit, uh, go a bit academic maybe. And no, probably not. We're just <laughs> joke as normal. I think we should do an explanation as well, why I can't grow vegetables. I think that's yeah. I think we'll explore. be ex exploring your lack of green fingeredness. <laughs> <laughs> so um, excellent. So thank you everybody for listening. Um, show notes are available on the website. Um, if you've enjoyed the, the episode, don't forget to subscribe using your favourite podcast app, um, and and please share the podcast with with your friends and family and anybody who's interested. There's one and a half million people working in the NHS. Almost they all want to hear this. Everybody in social care, need, everybody in education needs to hear this. So share it long and far and wide. Um, and if you want to get in touch, please drop us an email. Um, we're at alchemicalhealth—that's all one word—at outlook.com. And we'd love to hear you, hear from you, and uh, see you next time, or hear you next time. Thanks Thank so, you. so much, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.